ever thrown you the curveball that you weren't sure what to do with? You know, the kind where you think someone should really do something about this. Have you ever thought maybe that someone is me and then found yourself on a grand adventure you never saw coming? Me too. As a special needs mom, I have been saddened by what's available to my son. But instead of wallowing in it, I decided to do something about it. Along the way, I'm meeting extraordinary people and having the most wonderful experiences I never thought I'd have. I'm so inspired by what's happening around me that I want to share it all with you. Living Your Legacy is a community where ordinary people who've been called to create something bigger than themselves can come together to be inspired, connect, learn, and live into the legacies they want to see in the world. I'm your host, Michelle Slaney Travato, and this is the Living Your Legacy Podcast. Hello, everybody. Michelle Sini Trovato here. I want to take a moment to thank you for being as awesome as you are and joining us on the Living Your Legacy show for another episode. And today's episode is going to be really juicy and meaty and all those other wonderful things because we are going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, but is so important in the world today in our lives, in raising children, in creating any kind of legacy, and that is resilience. How, well, what is it? How do we get it or grow it? And then how do we use it or refine it in our lives? And then, of course, how do we teach it to our kids or the other people around us? So many important topics today. And my guest is an expert in all things resilience. And a friend of mine, and I adore her. So let me just tell you a little bit about her. I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Leah Davidson. Leah is a certified life coach, a professional resilience coach, which I have not heard before, and a consultant and a host of her own podcast called Building Resilience. Love that. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. Leah is also a registered speech language pathologist and has spent over two decades working in the area of traumatic brain injury. She has extensive training in cognitive communication, neuroplasticity, and oh my gosh, I don't even know how to say this, polyvagal. Did I get that right? right. Polyvagal, yeah. Polyvagal <laughs> theory. So we're going to have to define that because if I couldn't even say it, you know, I don't know what it is. <laughs> she is also certified in pain reprocessing therapy. Boy, you have a lot of certifications. That's cool. Yeah, I love EFT and breath work. As a coach, Leah helps people resolve and prevent burnout, stress, and compassion fatigue. Going to have to talk about that because I bet that's a big deal. By learning to regulate their nervous system, manage their mindset, and build resilience to create a purposeful and joyful life. And truthfully, who does not want more of that? She is also the creator of the Advanced Training for Nervous System Resilience for Coaches and Helping Professionals. Girl, you got like all kinds of stuff going on. <laughs> she lives in Toronto, Ontario, Canada with her husband, and they have a blended family of five children. So I know she's using resilience all the time in her life. Um, Leah loves to learn, which she said, to grow, hike, read, travel, spend time with friends and family, and obviously talk on podcasts. Leah, I am so excited to have you here. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So Leah, I want to start... Well, I'll start by getting you to tell your story. Then I want to come back and I want to ask you about some of these words that were in your introduction yes, and what those no mean, because that's super cool. So when you were in grade four, I ask everybody this, mm -hmm. and the teacher said, what do you want to be when you grow up? A resilience coach, cognitive communication, neuroplasticity, <laughs> polyvagal theory. I am sure all of those things were like nowhere near the top 1000 no. list. So no. what did you want to be? And what was the journey to get you where you are today? Well, actually, it is kind of close to what I wanted to be because I I had a sister who was um, five years younger than me, who was born with cerebral palsy and had lots of challenges. And so I spent a lot of time 
after school, going to sit in therapy rooms while my sister had therapy. So I was very well versed in the world of rehabilitation, the world of therapy. So I actually wanted to be an occupational therapist. And right, that um, is close. Yeah, very close. Who knows? In my grade four teacher, what? What's an occupational <laughs> therapist? Um, and I wanted to be an occupational therapist probably for a long time. And when I hit the time to select what I wanted to study in school, I thought, you know what? I want to do something different. So I went in business <laughs> Oh, and just completely different. I, you know, you're trying to find yourself at that age. Mm-hmm. I actually completed, um, my schooling and I went on to work, um, as an, um, investments and customer service for Toronto Dominion bank. Wow. And I was in banking for about four years and I wasn't thrilled about it. I, I didn't care about people's money. When I sat down with them to talk about their investments, I was like, how are your kids? What's going on with you? What's going on? And so I knew that this was not the place for me. And then one day I was having a conversation with a colleague who happened to have a stutter. And as I sat and listened, I hung up the phone and I turned to my colleague and I said, I'm going back to school to be a speech pathologist. And she laughed. And I was like, I'm not kidding. And so I did. I went back and I became a speech pathologist. I started working um, in the area of traumatic brain injury pretty quickly. I worked for a hospital for about five years and then Mm -hmm. went into private practice. And along the way, learning more and more about the brain and neuroplasticity and the nervous system and resilience, I just kept learning and learning. And I became a life coach back in 2014. And I started introducing some mindset tools with my clients. And then right around the time when a couple of my kids started leaving the nest, I said, perfect time to continue more education. And um, I dove deeper into life coaching. And when COVID hit, just the natural, I was all of a sudden, I did have more time because I used to see my clients Mm -hmm. drive around to see them. I had more time. I was seeing people virtually. And I just started doing some more life coaching with people who had been, you know, struggling with more adversity. They usually would say, well, I don't have a brain injury, but I am going through X, Y, Z. Can you help? Sure. And just continued through and have learned the importance of nervous system regulation and mindset and all those things on everything that we do and the importance of all those things on our ability to be resilient because we're not going to escape this life without having learned how to be resilient. And we are already resilient because we're here. So I love all of that. I bet your teacher in grade four looked at you really funny. Like, (laughs) how do you even know what an occupational therapist is? Totally. Mm. And then trying to explain it because it's hard to explain what an OT is. I yeah. I wish I had said at that time a speech therapist because they would have been oh easy. Even though speech therapy is not that easy to understand because everybody mm-hmm. just assumes oh you're working with articulation and the Rs. I have never done any of that kind mm-hmm. of work in my career as a speech pathologist. So yeah, and I bet in your career as a speech pathologist, you alluded to this um, and traumatic brain injury. Obviously, these are people who one day were quote unquote normal or average or typical, and then something happened and now they have lost things that they used to have. So they're coming to you to try and figure out, A, can I get it back Mm -hmm. or some of it? Mm -hmm. And B, I'm also dealing with the grief of losing it. I had it. My life was like this, it was on this path. And then all of a sudden it's not. And Mm -hmm. now I'm over here and I got to figure out what I'm doing with this. And it's hard and I'm scared and all those things. So you were already using a lot. I'm sure it came to your attention that some people handled that reasonably well. Like they came through it pretty well. They seemed to have skills and abilities that helped them to move beyond it Mm -hmm. or to move through things quicker and other people struggled for far longer, not because of the physical side of things, but because of what was going on in their heads. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that would have become pretty clear to you, I think like quickly. And then of course that raises the question, well, why? 
why is it that some people handle this pretty well and other people just don't seem to be able to, right? So then how can I help the ones that are really struggling figure mm-hmm. this out. Totally see mm-hmm. where you're going with yeah, that would have yeah, come up. That's where it naturally flowed. Yeah, yeah kind of did. And then wanting to learn tools and strategies to How be able to right, support them to yeah. create, you know, get over or get past or move beyond the hurdles that they've got yeah. in front of yeah. them or deal with the ones that just don't change. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I love all of that uh, because I think that that's so important. And as a teacher, that's a question that I had an awful lot in school. Mm-hmm. You know, why is this kid whose life seems so extraordinarily and overwhelmingly hard still here every day mm-hmm. and thriving? Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody else whose life seems relatively pleasant and easy, why can't they cope with like, a hangnail or right. a lower mark on a test. Why do they crumble and fall apart? Yes. And yes. this other child isn't. Yeah. When you would think reverse would be happening. The one whose life is so hard, they'd be crumbling and falling apart and be a hot mess all the time. Right. Yeah. And that was a big question that I came to as well. I'm like, oh, wow, that's so interesting. And then how? How do I help them? So what do I do? Which I'm sure is a lot of the questions you had and has led you to all of these wonderful words we're going exactly, to address now. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about polyvagal theory. What is that? So polyvagal theory is a theory of neuroscience that was put out by Stephen Porges. And it really is a way to a framework to understand our nervous system. Um, we have a nervous system. Everybody does. Most people don't understand how we use our nervous system. And just in its simplest form, um, our nervous system is constantly scanning for safety, danger, safety, danger, safety, danger. If it scans for danger, then what happens is we enter into a state called the sympathetic state, which is an activated state, a protected state. This is where you may have heard the terms fight, flight, and freeze. So this is where people, you know, you sense danger. Your first line of protection is I need to do something. I'm going to fight or I'm going to flight, I'm going to freeze. And um, we try to approach things that way. Um, and then what was always thought and discussed is we have the sympathetic nervous system. And then there's the flip side of it, which is the parasympathetic nervous system. And the parasympathetic nervous system is where we are more in a state of calm, that rest and digest. Um, I like to refer to it as home. This is where we're coming home. And we have these two states. Well, Stephen Porges, back in his studies, I think it was back in the 70s, he started to realize that, you know, this the vagus nerve, which is a really important cranial nerve that sort of wanders. It's called vagus because it wanders throughout the body. It starts in the brainstem, sort of continues along, has a branch to the face, a branch to the heart, and comes down and innervates all the, the lower pelvic region. That is the communication system between our mind and our body. It's the way the mind and the body communicate. And what he noticed is that the um, there are multiple branches of the vagus nerve, hence polyvagal, multiple branches of the vagus nerve. Um, not just the two, there are actually three. And so we have the sympathetic, which is the sympathetic, as I already said. And then we have the parasympathetic can be divided into two branches. The first branch is that rest and digest, which is sort of home where it's relaxed. And um, it's not, you know, I shouldn't say it's relaxed. This is the place where we are able to function at our optimum. Um, I refer to it as the zone of resilience. This is a zone we want to be in. We can tolerate things. We can have access to our thinking skills, our communication skills, our creativity skills. And that is our optimal state. However, there is a state that is also part of that same system, but it's called um, the shutdown system. So this is where we are hypo aroused. So we have that hyper arousal with the sympathetic, and then we have the hypo arousal in the polyphagal theory. And this hypo arousal is basically where we go when we figure we can't do it anymore. We've tried, we've done the fight, flight, and fright. They're flight, fright, and freeze. We can't do it anymore. Um, our system says, 
we got to shut down. We got to conserve some energy here. And so people go into that hypoaroused state. And this is really a state where you'll find a lot of um, conserving of energy. So you will see more hopeless and helpless and uh, despair and sadness and depression. So this is where a lot of those emotions and thoughts and, and things reside. So it's all about the nervous system. I I love the nervous system and I feel like we all need to learn more about the nervous system because the nervous system is really sort of the generating everything else that we do. And when we have an understanding of it and we learn how to regulate it and we learn how to move up and down flexibly within it, then we are able to access a lot more of the tools that we need to access to lead that joyful life that we want to. Well, I think we got a good education on that whole thing, which is really cool. I love how you were able to put that in a nutshell. That's a pretty complicated theory. And you broke that down really simply. And I'm sure, like me, people in our audience were probably hearing things like, oh, that would describe me or, oh, that's why maybe exactly. uncle so-and-so behaves this way. Exactly. Or, oh, yes. interesting. Yeah. 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 Interesting yeah. stuff there. So I love to break it down. I mean, that was polyvagal. When I work with people or teach people, mm -hmm. I break it down even into a simpler model because really, like I said, we don't understand our nervous system. We don't understand how much our nervous system is driving everything that we do. Mm -hmm. And when we do understand it and we are able to work with it and create safety, it's almost like magic. Like you see so many things change. It's easier to change your mindset. It's easier to have relationships or it's easier just to be doing all the things that we want to do. So it can be simplified. And, you know, I love to simplify it. Amazing. And we're going to touch back on that in a little bit. But first, I want to know what is compassion fatigue? You had that in your bio and I've never heard that term before. So what is it? So compassion fatigue is a term, again, that was coined way back when um, by Charles Spigley. He is sort of the pioneer with compassion fatigue. And basically it is um, what hits people who are caregivers, whether it be through volunteer, whether it be caring for a family member or helping professionals. Um, it is almost like a type of burnout. Really, the basic definition is secondary traumatic stress plus burnout equals compassion fatigue. It is what happens to us when we care too much for too long without taking care of our own needs and taking care of our own nervous system, really. Um, it's a little bit still, it's called compassion fatigue, and that's what all the literature uses. Although more and more, there's been a call for there to change the name to um, empathic strain, empathic fatigue, because it's not necessarily a reduction in compassion. It's mm -hmm. more a reduction of empathy. There are two different things that happen differently in the brain. And Gabor Mate, he always says, compassion fatigue is really a lack of compassion passion that the caregivers have for themselves. So oh, I'm sure a lot so of people, true. yeah, I'm sure a lot of people in your audience who are caregivers would really relate to, you know, if we were to break down exactly all the details, they'd really relate to it because it is, you know, they, we talk about burnout. Burnout mm -hmm. is a buzz, buzz word, and it's a huge word and it it's out there. But compassion fatigue is kind of that special burnout that people have when they're caregivers, because it's not just the regular burnout that they have. It's also combined with what we call secondary traumatic stress. And you'll probably ask what that is. I will. <laughs> secondary traumatic stress is really that when you are a witness to somebody else's trauma, somebody else's uh, challenges, we start to take it on ourselves if we're not very careful. Um, for you mentioned also that professional resilience piece. Professional resilience is really all about helping professionals become more resilient. They are at high risk of compassion fatigue because what happens is day in and day out, you are hearing stories of trauma. You are reading, you are seeing photos, whichever profession you're working in, which causes your nervous system to be activated. And your nervous system is meant to be activated when there is an actual threat. But our nervous system can't determine whether a threat is real or is perceived. So if you are telling me a story, 
I run the risk of sitting there and my system will be responding as if your story is happening to me, which it clearly is not, but my nervous system doesn't know the difference. When we stay in that state of activation for too long, there's complications. There are repercussions that happens in our body, our mind, our spirit, and our relationships. And eventually that's what leads to burnout, a constant state, a chronic state of being activated. So secondary traumatic stress is we have to learn how do we care for people? How do we share with their stories? How do we express compassion and empathy without it being a risk to our own health? And that's what I help a lot of coaches and caregivers do. That is so profound um, and just resonated with me so strongly because I am a special needs mom and right. I, I operate within the caregiving community. And as a special needs teacher, um, mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying around this idea of after a while, it is overwhelming. All the things yes. you hear and you see and it is constant and Wow, that's really profound. Thank you for explaining that. I, I really got a and, lot of value out of that. You can't get away from it. There's a, a great quote. I can't remember who it is, but it's not me who said it, but I love it. And she said, you, you can't walk through water without getting wet. And I think that that is really the crux of what happens with caregivers and helping professionals and coaches and, and anybody, you know, teachers, you are in swampland, <laughs> And so Mm -hmm. you can't expect at the end of the day to come out dry. You are going to be wet. What are you going to do about that? Because Mm -hmm. if you don't take care of yourself, then eventually you will become worn down and then you will not be any good to anybody, your family, yourself, your friends, anybody. So true. Um, And so profound. So that's a really good segue into let's talk about resilience. What actually is it? What does that mean? People will say like, I'm resilient or you're resilient. Like what, what is that? How do you define that? Yeah. Um, I will say first off, we are all resilient. Every single person who is here. If you are questioning whether you are resilient or not, you can just put that to rest. You are resilient. Resilient really, I mean, there's multiple definitions. I resonate well with the definition of really to bend and not break, to um, bounce back from adversities, to fall apart and stand back up again, to be up and down, to be weak, to be strong. I think a lot of times when we hear resilient, we have this image of it's all the good things. It's all the strength. It's all the overcoming. It's all the determination. And I think it is all those things. But being resilient is also allowing yourself to be the opposite, to feel, quote unquote, weak, to be that mess of a puddle on the floor and then to stand up again, to not know what your next step is and yet take the next step. So I think being resilient is this, this ability to move back and forth. And that's why I love that analogy of bend and not break. And it is also in the face of adversity, which we will all face. Um, adversity, I love saying is like your shadow. It's always there. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small, but it's going to be there. But resilience is your ability to deal with that adversity and have coping strategies and healing strategies and to continue living a life that has hope, that has faith, that has joy. And that's what we want. We want to be able to not just deal with and handle the stress. We want to be able to move forward and create that beautiful, joyful life. Those are some profound words right there. And as you can tell, I'm having I'm having a very strong re- response to this <laughs> because I think it's so important to acknowledge that that life is, as a general rule, difficult. There are yeah. days that you know it's completely overwhelmingly difficult. There are other days that it feels like it's smooth sailing. In particular, if you are a caregiver, um, there's a lot of days where it's really just hard, period. Full right. stop. Yeah, full like stop. Hard. Right. And so yeah. having the ability 
or the skill set to be able to, I love what you said, experience those things, be a mess on the floor. And then at the end of the mess, say, okay, it's time to get back up now. Mm -hmm. And we're going to move forward. How do I do this in a way that's going to allow for joy, happiness, humor, right? right? Positivity. How do I dignity? How do I do this in that way? So I think that that's so strongly profound. And Mm -hmm. on the, on the hard days, it's important to remember that you are being resilient are being resilient and not judging like how long, how long can I stay down for? I've been down for too long. I've been down for no, it's just, it's sort of witnessing your experience, allowing your experience to be what it is. You know, so many people, there's, I'm sure many people in your audience have heard of post-traumatic growth. So many people after they have gone through really, really difficult times, will actually in some areas of their life, not only just bounce back, but bounce forward. But when you are in it, it's okay to be in it. You don't always have to be, I got to try to find the silver lining and what is the lesson and how can I grow? Those things are great and and you it's great if you can get to that place. But you are still resilient if you are sitting there I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. The only thing I know to what to do is to take my next breath or to take my next step. Okay, that's resilience. That's that's what you're doing. And and to remove all the stipulations and the shame about I should be doing this, I shouldn't be doing that, that person over there is doing this, they do this much better. What you're doing, just keeping on going, that is resilience in action in your life. Wow. So many strong and powerful words in there. Thank you for being a part of the Living Your Legacy podcast community in 2022. We can honestly say 2023 is going to be an exciting year. We've got some new things going on that we'd like to share with you. The Living Your Legacy podcast is now offering advertising spots. We found many entrepreneurs spent lots of money on advertising last year, only to find that they weren't falling in front of their ideal audience. We'd love to help you get your message out. Let's discuss this. Click the link in the show notes to book a time to chat and see if this could be a good fit for you. So let's talk a little bit then about how can we grow our resilience? Are there things that we can do that would actually help us to become more resilient, to be able to move through that process just that little bit easier or a little bit smoother or maybe a little quicker? What what can we do? Is it possible? It is. And and that's why I love talking about things like the nervous system and, and mindset, because I think a lot of things start with that. Our nervous system, as I said earlier, has the, it, it want it, a healthy nervous system is flexible. It comes up and it comes down, it responds, it protects, and then it, it pulls back. Um, but a lot of people struggle because they are living in a constantly activated state. And there is no ability to return home, so to speak. And so in order to become more resilient, what we want to focus on is building a stronger home base. How do you build that stronger home base? It comes down to just some simple things that you can be doing on a daily basis, like taking care of yourself and understanding um, that your nervous system needs to be regulated. I I teach that when you are regulating your nervous system, there's sort of three components that you want to be looking at. The first one is you want to be acknowledging that you are safe in the environment that you are in. Um, And it's just a simple question of asking yourself, am I in this moment empirically safe? And majority of the time in this day and age, unless we're living in a war zone or in acute abuse situation, we are safe, but our body doesn't necessarily feel safe. It's constantly feeling like it's threatened. When we feel safe, then we want to scan our body and ask our body, okay, body, do you feel safe? And most of the time the body's like, no, I don't feel safe. 
like I, I've got tension in my stomach. My, my, I have, you know, cramps. I, I feel it in my shoulders. I have a pain in my neck. I don't feel safe. And so we want to acknowledge that. Okay. There's tension. There's stress. There's overwhelm. I feel it in my body. And then we want to relax our body, acutely relax our body. And we can do that by breathing. And we can do that by doing things like just, I call it the rag doll, where you just sort of let go of your body and, and, you know, uh, like a, a rag doll. Things like that, what that does is it brings your nervous system down into a state that's more regulated and you can start thinking. And when you start thinking, that's when you can start thinking of how can I reframe this situation? Is there a different lens that I could look on? Who can I call for support? Can I take care of myself? How can I take care of myself? What feels good? What feels that it is fueling me so that I'll be able to continue on? So we're developing resources for becoming into that home ground so that we can feel comfortable. We have access to our thinking skills. We have access to connection. And that's where with all these little things, we can continue to grow that resilience. Again, those are such powerful things and relatively easy to do. Like to actually take a, take a minute and say, okay, hang on here. Time out. What am I feeling in my body? Am I physically safe here? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Okay. So then do I feel safe in my body? No, my shoulders are really uh, tight. And Mm -hmm. so now what can I do to help relax my body Mm -hmm. so that I can then start to think clearer? Because you're right. When you're really stressed, when you're really tense, when you're overtired, um, Absolutely. It's super hard to think clearly. It is. Yeah. It's really easy to be reactive. It's really easy to be more verbally aggressive or maybe, you know, slam doors and things like that. You get that lovely look of, you know, the one that everybody avoids, like, ooh, bad mood, stay away. Exactly. Yeah. And that's just (laughs) indicating when you see that with people, that's just indicating they're dysregulated. And and again, with the nervous system, when we can separate out, we look at people who's having a reaction like that and not like, oh, they're this person, they're doing this. And no, that's their nervous system responding. That is something is telling them that they're in danger and they've gone into protective mode. Mm-hmm. And we can have a lot more, I think, we can have a lot more compassion towards people when we see people behaving in dysregulated ways. Instead of judging them and shaming them, we can ask, okay, what is going on in their nervous system? Mm-hmm. Is there a way that I can, and it's called co-regulation, is there a way that I can help send them messages of safety, that I can send them, you know, um, just through even my body language, my posture, my tone of voice, like the look in my eyes that I can send them a message of you're safe with me. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. I, I, I feel what you're going through, even though I may not have any understanding, just that our systems can communicate with each other. And when we acknowledge that it's people's nervous systems, as opposed to a character or a moral failing that they're having, we can be so much more compassionate. And leaves room for them to make the changes or to feel exactly what they're feeling. Wow. That's just a life lesson right there. Like you should run a country or something, you know, like (laughs) I look at that and think if you were in, if you were in a public leadership role, teaching this message, how different would our societies be? Right. Um, like how yeah. amazing. Is I, that? I agree. I actually went and saw Elizabeth Gilbert a couple of months ago. She was in Toronto. I love Elizabeth Gilbert. She's the author of Eat, Pray, Love. And she also wrote the book, Big Magic. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how she wanted to uh, start a revolution of women who would be more relaxed. And I thought, oh, that's wonderful. Because she said, you know, a, a lot of, we see that a lot of women in general have a lot on their plate. Mm-hmm. And so there is, you know, busyness and stress and tension and overwhelm. And so she said, if everybody could be more relaxed, how how much better would our society be? And I totally agreed. 
But then I thought to myself, I just want to put up my hand, you know, hundreds of people. It's actually not relaxation that we need. It's regulation. Mm -hmm. And regulation is nervous system regulation, which as I explained to you earlier, it does include an element of relaxation. But your body will never relax if it thinks it's in danger. Mm -hmm. which is why we need to have both components. We need both the brain to acknowledge I'm safe. Mm -hmm. Like nothing's gone wrong here. Nothing's mm -hmm. going to harm me. Send the message to the body mm -hmm. and then the body to relax. And when the body's relaxed, it sends the message back up to the brain. So now they're both like, are you safe? Yeah, I'm safe. Are you safe? Yeah, I'm safe. All right, Roger that. We're all good. Let's move forward. But what's happening now is we're doing things like relaxing our body and it sends that message up because that vagus nerve is the communicator. Mm -hmm. And actually 80% of the communication comes from the body up to the brain mm -hmm. and 20% from the brain to the body. So 80% is just like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm relaxed. And the brain's like, that's nice. I'm not safe. So I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> so you have to have both. So when mm -hmm. she said that, you know, a revolution of relaxed women, and I was thinking it's a revolution of regulated women and it's a revolution of regulated humans. Yeah. Because I think that, that, you know, as much as at that talk, she was specifically geared towards an audience of, of females. But I mean, I think we can all acknowledge everybody is dealing with stress and overwhelm mm -hmm. to different degrees with mm -hmm. different, different things going on in their life. We all could do with being more regulated because with regulation comes resilience, comes clear thinking, comes compassion, comes mm -hmm. communication. Mm -hmm. So when we start there, we have a much better chance of having a lot more peace and harmony in our lives. Oh. That's just amazing. Like I'm so inspired by all the things you're saying there. Revolution of regulation. I love it. Yeah. Um, let's so, start it, Michelle. <laughs> absolutely. I'm in. Count me in. Um, so let's talk now, because you talked about how we can share this with other people. And obviously a lot of our audience are parents, mm -hmm. in particular special needs parents. Um, clearly, we need to figure out some ways to self-regulate because you know, we're dealing with stuff for our kids. We're dealing with struggles with schools, maybe not, maybe not meeting the needs of our kids as we see right. fit, or or maybe there's something going on at the school or you hear about online bullying, you, you know, all these sorts of things, COVID, keeping our children at home where we are social creatures. And this is really hard Absolutely. for them because they need social experiences to be able to learn and grow and become the adults they're going to be. How can we teach our children to be more resilient? Uh, they're going to need it, clearly. That's a good so question. How yeah. can we better support our children so that they're going to be armed with better skills to be able to cope with their own lives more effectively. Let's, let's really like take on this revolution. It's not just you and right. me, we got to teach the kids and then yeah, they'll take yeah. it on. Right. We do. So and how do we do that? Place, the first place is, is going to start with you. It is going to start with, um, are you able to be in that state of regulation. Are you able to take care of you? And that's where we, you know, I mentioned earlier that idea of self-care. You are not going to be able to do anything for your kids if you're not taking care of you. I, I do think that a lot of parents, we fall into the trap of there's no time to take care of me, mm -hmm. especially when you have a special needs child. There's no time to take care of me. I look at my own mother and, and that was there wasn't time. She not only had a special needs child, she also had um, other children to contend with. But what happens is then you are trying to pour from an empty pitcher and mm -hmm. it doesn't do anybody any good. So I definitely think taking care of you and learning how to do that self-care is actually um, the most non-selfish thing that you can do. I know we sometimes think self-care is selfish. It's absolutely, it's actually the opposite that you need to be. If, if you love your kids, your family, whoever it is that you're serving, you want to be taking care of you. The second thing I would say is you need to be okay with all emotions, mm -hmm. your own emotions and your children's emotions. Mm -hmm. We have a tendency, you know, if you were to ask people, what do you want for your children? I just want my children to be happy. And you kind of don't want your children to always be happy. 
because life is going to hand them lemons Mm -hmm. and they're going to think like, am I supposed to be happy about these lemons? Well, no, obviously, you know, life is filled with these ups and downs. We all have, you know, we're human. We're meant to have this range of emotions. And when we send a message to our children, either through like never showing them emotions ourselves, being mm-hmm. very, very stoic or being very, you know, I'm never going to cry in front of them and never going to do that. We're sending them a, a message and we're sending their nervous system a message that the emotions aren't safe. They're mm-hmm. dangerous. And so we want our kids to, yeah, it's hard to see. Like, I, I know it's so hard to see when your kids are struggling, if mm-hmm. they're feeling sad, if they're feeling overwhelmed or angry, but we really do want to send them a message. It's okay to be feeling what you're feeling. And when we come up to them, even watch our language, you know, what's wrong. You're sending the message up front that there's something wrong about how they're feeling. There's mm-hmm. something wrong about how they're feeling. So, you know, what's up what, what's going on? What do you, what are you feeling? What's going on for you? Those are probably a little bit ways to neutralize that we're not putting on them. Like what's wrong. Oh, I guess it's wrong that I'm crying. I guess it's wrong that I'm angry. Mm-hmm. So really being okay with all the emotions. The third thing I would think is to teach them to be resourceful. And this is a big one and it's hard mm-hmm. to do because when our children come to us and they have a problem, we want to solve it. Mm-hmm. And it's often easier to solve it. Here's your problem. Here's your solution. But what that does with our our brains and our children's brains is just something called neuroplasticity, which in our brains, you can think about, we have like millions of different roots of how to do things. And the more we do things over and over, the stronger the root gets. So if a child comes to you with a problem and you automatically solve it, the root that is being created is child has problem goes to mom, mom solves it, or goes to dad, dad solves it. So we've got a beautiful root. And I'd say we want that to be one root. At least I want, I I want my kids to be able to know that they can come to me and I'll help Mm -hmm. them. But what happens if mom or dad are not around? Child has problem, no root. Mm -hmm. And then what? So what we want to do is we want to help our kids have a problem. What are some things that you could do? Mm-hmm. What do you think you could do? What advice would you give a friend? If you were me, what would you say that I would recommend doing? Have you seen somebody else do this? Has this ever come up in the past? Remember when this happened to you? What did you do then? Mm-hmm. And when we throw out those questions, what it does is it gets their brain working on different pathways. Now, they still may get stuck and need encouragement, but you're creating a a much bigger network so -hmm. that if one route is cut off, they're like, okay, I can go this route. I can go this route. We are building resourcefulness. So we want to teach them that we have been robbing our kids of the opportunity to become more resourceful. The more we just take over and fix things, Mm -hmm. which brings us to, you know, another conversation that I know you and I have had in the past is fixing things for our kids all the time really does a big disservice to them because the reality is, is our kids are going to mess up. Mm -hmm. And so when you get that phone call from school and they're saying, you know, little Susie did blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no, not my Susie. She would never stop and check yourself. Because chances are your little Susie had a part of it. And we're denying our kids the ability to learn from other adults, from Mm -hmm. other figures in their life, to take responsibility, to take accountability, Mm -hmm. to figure out how to change things. I'm not saying throw your kids under the bus and say, oh, you better deal with them. But I, I think it is important that we do listen. I had lots of those phone calls where I I might not have agreed with everything that the teacher said, but I usually would say, I hear you. I I know where this is coming from. In fact, with a couple of my kids, I used to always say, I think what you're describing is actually going to serve them really well in the future, but I get it's not serving them in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So we'll have a discussion about it. So I think that resourcefulness ties into okay, take accountability as well and not robbing our kids from the opportunity to problem solve and take accountability. 
That is everything you just said. It's so beautiful. I really want to zero in on the last little part because mm-hmm. that can be a bit controversial. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's a, an interesting line to kind of find. I often say, you know, it's one thing to be mama bear. And there are some circumstances where absolutely 100% it is warranted. And I always say mama bear doesn't come out to play. She bites. You don't want to mess with her. Like she is not playing. If she is out, we have problem. But the reality is jumping to that place first leaves you nowhere to go. That's right. It is so hard to deescalate. It is so hard to um, address any issues. We are flawed human beings and that includes our children. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. Lord, my 19, nearly 19 year old son with special needs, boy, that boy, he tries to lie. And mm-hmm. I'm, but the thing is, it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, you watch him take something who took yeah. it. He's like, my brother, I'm like, uh, dude, I saw you. I know, I know. Right? So he, yeah. he clearly is out there trying to, to, to lie. And yeah. so I'm like, well, that's him. And he it has cognitive challenges and all the rest of it. Well, he's still doing it. So what makes we think that somebody else isn't right? Right. We all try to self-preserve and pass the buck and not my fault and all those other things. We all do it. Mm -hmm. Our kids do too. They do. And And that's, that's developmental too, right? When we look at, you know, our frontal lobe, the, the CEO, as I call her, the executive function skills, Kids are developing their executive function skills. And by nature of doing that, they are going to make mistakes. They are going to use poor judgment. They are going to, you know, some will lie more than others, but they're going to do things that aren't necessarily in harmony, probably with what you want to see them do. Um, As they become adults, they'll have to make their own choices. But as parents, I always said to my kids, I will always have your back. But having your back also means that you've got to take accountability for things. And having your back means that sometimes I have to pull the mom card and say, no, because I am your mom or pull the mom card and say, actually, you're wrong in this situation. You have to go back and correct this. They they need that guidance when they are still trying to figure things out. And they need that guidance without that judgment. You know, the you saying that your son, your 19-year-old son lies. Again, like, is that a moral failing? We don't have to make it be that way. We can make it be that, yeah, this is what kids do at that age. Like, you probably did it too. It's not because of poor parenting or these kids didn't learn. We want to give them guidance. Yeah. We want to, we want to, you know, share our knowledge, our experience with them while knowing that they are going to make mistakes, partly because they don't have the brains to think otherwise, that this is developmental. I love that you said that there's this, it doesn't have to be a moral judgment. It can feel that way when the school calls home and I have been on the receiving end of calls home from (laughs) a school. Many, many calls. Um, But normally I realize that it's out of compassion or maybe it's something where my, one of my sons is acting out of their normal behavior. And the school's like, "Mm, I'm a little concerned about this. Like this came up today and we've never seen or heard this before. Right. Um, but I agree. We rob our children of their resilience, honestly, when we we step in and we solve everything for them, even though it's an instinctual thing to want to protect your children, it might be a good place to go back and do that whole process you talked about before. Am I safe? Is my child actually safe? Yeah, exactly. Am I holding tension around this? How can I let that go? Now, how can I talk to my kid about this? And as well, I love teaching your children resourcefulness. For me, it comes in the form of asking questions, lots of them. Exactly. So, you know, my son, my younger son will come home and say, you know, this happened or that happened. And then I'll say, well, what do you think about that? Mm hmm. Um, cause he'll often say, well, why did this person do that? I'm like, well, I'm not in that person's head and I wasn't there right. to see it, but let's talk about some possibilities. It could be this, it yeah. could be that, um, yeah. and just have it. And then saying to him, well, I, I think it could be like this. Do you, th- can you think of another way? Another reason? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. now it's just answering, learning to answer your own questions in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or recognizing that. 
you know, the way I handle things is going to be different from the way somebody else handles things. Right. 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 Or um, things along the lines of I saw this thing happen to another kid. I'm really upset about that. What do I do? I tell my mom, she goes to the school and tells the school. Or do I turn around and say, did you talk to any adults about this? Right. Maybe yeah, you need yeah. to go back first. Yeah. And who can we talk to? Exactly. Right? Again, teaching them to go yeah. find the right path to help them resolve mm-hmm. this situation um, as effectively as they can. Yeah. And I, I do want to mention too, you know, when that you're sending them back to these adults and we talked about the teachers at the same time, the teachers also, we know that there's high levels of burnout, mm-hmm. compassion fatigue. We already talked about that. The teachers do have a responsibility to regulate themselves as well. Mm -hmm. How often are you activated in a classroom throughout the day? Probably a majority of the time, which means that if you are constantly activated, that is a lens from which you're seeing everything. So the certain irritants that you may have with certain kids are going to be amplified. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you got to be honest and check in with yourself too, that are you regulated before you are making that call or before you're disciplining or before you're trying to do something because you're human as well. I think it's a balance. I I know that sometimes, you know, obviously parents, we want them to take responsibility. We want kids to take responsibility and we want teachers to take responsibility. And I don't necessarily mean it in the way that we're just like, oh, teachers don't know what they're talking about. No, take responsibility for yourself that when you are dysregulated you're not taking care of yourself, you are going to have a harder time managing a classroom. It is going to be so much more overwhelming just because you don't have that self-care in Mm -hmm. place. And so you want to be mindful of that as well when you're dealing with a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. And that compassionate lens, if you can put on, a lot of these kids are dysregulated. And what can you do to help co-regulate. I can tell you that yelling at them, you know, putting them in the corner, sending them to the principal's office, while they may be strategies that you feel you need to do in the moment, that is not going to help them learn to regulate their system. Mm-hmm. And actually what that does is it teaches them that school is a dangerous place to be mm-hmm. and heightens that level of dysregulation. Yep. There's so much meatiness here. Uh, We could spend hours talking about that. (laughs) And it is important because I I just want to touch on, I've talked about my younger son, but even with my older son, sometimes he'll come to me with a challenge Mm -hmm. and, you know, and it's often for him different things. So it might be, I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. um, And I will say to him, well, what do you want to eat? And then if he picks something, he might pick two things and I'll say, hmm, how can we do this? Right. So I'm arming him with the strategies Mm -hmm. to be able to sort it out. Um, And so sometimes he'll come up with some ideas and sometimes they're great. Like I never would have thought of them or I wouldn't have thought of them for him. Yeah. Um, And, you know, he'll surprise me with what he's capable of. And then other times I'm like, yeah, you clearly don't know how to do this. Like we don't cook on our gas stove, but we can use the microwave. Right. Right. Like there are a few things. One's a safety thing and the other one. Okay. Yeah. You just, we don't have any dishes that would set off sparks. So we're good. How long do we put it in? (laughs) How do, which buttons do we push? Like we can sort that out so that now when he's hungry, he'll get himself a snack. And it is Mm -hmm. such a pleasure for me to watch him do it. And Mm -hmm. so empowering for him to feel he can. Yes. That he is capable. Yes. And what a gift That's to it. give our children that to feel capable. like they, believe they are in capable, that yes. they can do things, they can problem solve, they can mm-hmm. come up with ideas, right? Mm-hmm. That's the gift. Because mm-hmm. as they go into life, they're going to take that with them. Oh, yeah. I, I can solve this. Oh, yeah, exactly. I can figure out a way to to yes. figure this out or I can handle this difficult situation with this person or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Right. Such a beautiful gift. It so, is letting them do hard. Like yeah. we, we, we tend to want to shy away. We tend to want to give them a better life than maybe we had. We tend to want to smooth things over. Um, but hard, we don't want to deliberately mm-hmm. go out and create huge obstacles for mm-hmm. our kids to have to go over. But when things come in their pathway, we can stand beside them as they try to climb over. We don't have to pick them up and carry them over and try to remove the hard from them. And when we remove that hard, it's probably easier for you to just say, here's a snack. 
yep. rather than go through the process of trying to teach them, you know, do you want this or this? And if you do this one, this is what you have to do. Um, but you're robbing him of the chance for him to realize what he's capable of. When we remove hard, that's what we're doing to our kids. We're actually telling them, sending them a message. I don't actually believe in you. So I'm going to have to do it myself. And that's a message that not many parents want to send. And I, again, it's no judgment. I've done it so many times. And then I've stepped back and realized like, oh, is my helping them, sending them a message Mm -hmm. that, and the subconscious message, obviously I'm not doing it deliberately, but is that sending them a message that I don't believe they can do it? And I've had to take many steps back and gone, oh yeah, I did send them that message. And that's not the message I want to send them. I do believe in them. Absolutely have done that too. Um, so let's shift just so slightly because obviously it's for some people living a a great legacy is around the idea of creating amazing kids. I mean, they're already amazing. You created them. Somebody else created them. In my case, they came to be amazing. Like they just did. My job is to encourage the amazing. So that might be the legacy somebody's living into and leaving behind them. But as people are say, for example, they want to launch a nonprofit or Mm -hmm. they want to fundraise a million dollars for a cancer center, or they really want to do something big. Obviously, the bigger the goal, the bigger the barriers you're going to find in front of you. How can we, you know, be cognizant, be aware of our own resilience or, or bring it into the light when we're dealing with these big things that we need to accomplish in order to achieve a bigger goal? So I think that having a bigger goal, every big goal starts with that first step. And and I think that when you make the decision that you want to leave a legacy, you're not necessarily leaving the end of the legacy. You're starting on the path towards leaving the legacy. And that's what I see resilience is all about taking that next step. What is the next thing that I can do to move the needle forward, to start with the creation of whatever it is that I want to create. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's even in, in parenting. What is the next best thing that I can do with my child, what I can do with my nonprofit, what I can do with my clients. Um, it comes down to breaking things down into those micro steps and consistently moving forward with those steps. Mm-hmm. Absolutely beautiful. We could we could truly talk for hours. This is such a fascinating topic and there's so many areas that we could go into in this. But I do believe um, I love the way you phrase things. I love the way you break it down into very simple parts, things that people can do. And you offered some great tips today that people can literally walk away as soon Mm -hmm. as this call is over and put into practice. I would encourage people to do that self-regulation, check-in. Mm-hmm. Am I safe? I love those three steps. Am yeah. I safe physically? Okay. Yeah. Yes, I am. Is this, where is it in my body? What am I feeling? How can I relax my body? And then I can move forward. Um, yeah. I also love the idea of self-care. Now, just before we go, we've talked, I've talked about this briefly on a couple mm-hmm. of episodes. There's this whole idea of like me time and a me day, mm-hmm. and it's come to be almost a very selfish thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be all about me. I'm going to spend a lot of money on me. I'm going to do only what I want and everybody else too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of self-care is definitely not that. Mm-hmm. So if someone is dealing with compassionate, compassion fatigue, I had to look that mm-hmm. up again, compassion yeah. fatigue, how can they define some of those self-care things? Yeah. I, I divide self-care into a sort of indulgent and then long-term. And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing both. And indulgent would be the things like, you know, I'm going out to get my nails done. I'm getting a massage and I'm, I'm doing things like that. I think that we all need, you know, spurts of that mm-hmm. um, throughout our life, but true self-care doesn't necessarily feel good upfront. It, True self-care is something that has the benefits down the road Mm -hmm. that allows us to stay fueled. So true self-care to me, things like sleep and nutrition, 
and exercise. And when we think of things, they're not necessarily exciting. They're not necessarily indulgent, but they are the things that will continue to fuel us. So when I think of my own sleep, my own nutrition, my own movement, I don't necessarily think of that as being selfish. All of a sudden that that shifts things away. Okay, it's not a selfish thing. This is actually what I need to fuel myself so that I can then go and do whatever it is I'm choosing to do, to serve the clients that I have, to be the mom that I want to be, to be the neighbor that I want to be. So I think it's looking at things like that. I also think true self-care is being able to set healthy boundaries Mm -hmm. and being able to ask yourself, what do I need in order for me to do, to create that legacy that I want to leave? What, what do I need? And setting boundaries and boundaries are often, I find misunderstood that we think we set boundaries on other people. You can't do this. Don't you do that? Boundaries are really for my own protection. They're what I set for myself. So having a healthy boundary that actually I'm not going to be going out on such and such a night for so many hours. I am going to be saying no to these things because it's not taking care of me. It's draining my battery. When I say yes to this, it means I'm saying no to that. And really being clear mm-hmm. on you, you are, you're making a choice. There's always a yes to one thing. Ask yourself, what is the no to the other thing? Mm-hmm. And that I think is how you can determine whether it's a healthy boundary and whether it's self-care, because what are you giving up? Mm-hmm. And is that in line with what your value system is? Absolutely. If self-care has to go according to your value system as well. Again, there is so much richness in this conversation and so many things for people to, for our audience and myself too, to take away and think about and look at and see how we can do things that little bit differently. You've talked about your next step, your next best step. What is the next best thing that we can do? That's going to move the needle forward, either in our Mm -hmm. own self-regulation to develop a stronger sense of resilience within ourselves for our children to help them develop that in our legacies, whatever we're doing, where are we going to take care of us to say yes to taking on something for your legacy means you must say no or take something off your plate. Developing those boundaries are great. And taking, I love you said micro steps, those little micro steps forward. Everything, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, right? So to sort of look at all that and think, okay, what is the next best thing I can do right now that I feel safe about doing ish? Because some of it's a bit scary. So um, addressing that, but the next best thing that I can do, that's going to just move the needle that little bit forward. Because the more you move it a little bit forward, when you look back on it, you've actually moved it a lot. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at the projection, it really one tiny degree ends up being so far ahead down the road. Absolutely. This has been such an extraordinarily positive conversation. I'm so excited about that. And I knew it was going to be, which is why I totally (laughs) invited you on here. So Leah, I know that there are going to be people who are listening, who are going to want more of what you're sharing because it's we could have gone 17 different directions right. with this. I know, and I there's know. so much more to talk about. Um, how can, what's the best way for people to find you? How can they reach you if they want to connect and find out more about what you do? I am on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. And my website is also Leah Davidson Life Coaching. And my podcast is called Building Resilience. So I drop an episode every week. If you want to hear more, have more discussions, I've covered. A lot of what we talked about, I have individual episodes on and plus a whole lot more. So that's that's a great way to learn more about me and, and what I love to do. Absolutely. I highly encourage you, if you are interested in this topic, if something that came up today really does interest you, check out Leah's podcast. It's really awesome. And she does cover a lot of these things in more detail. So you can take that deep dive into those areas that are of interest to you. Leah, thank you so much for the gift of your wisdom and your time today. I feel like I am a better person for having learned these things. And I totally am going to go away and start doing some of this in my own life. So 
and I'm sure our audience is too. And if anybody in the audience is, and, and you would like to share some of your wins from this, we would love to hear from you, both Leah and myself. It's always good to hear those stories of positivity that, you know, you tried something new and different and scary and, and here's where you are or how you move the needle on your life. We'd love to hear about that. Leah, again, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you and your wisdom today. It has been such an extraordinary conversation, and it is a gift you have given our entire audience to help them move the needle forward in living their own legacies. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to talk with you. Absolutely. We'll do it again another time. For sure. For sure. Does the thought of follow-up give you a foul taste? Do you find yourself wondering how you can ever stand out from the crowd, but need it to be easy and convenient? With a system like Send Out Cards, you can stay in touch and top of mind with only a few keystrokes. People's inboxes might be full, but their mailboxes are empty. Reach people literally where they live, work, or play, and watch the warm fuzzies go to work for you. See the show notes for a link where you can send your first card on me. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. Together, we can inspire more people to start living their legacy too. And let's keep the conversation going. We would love to hear all about your journey in living your legacy and support you along the way. Join our Facebook community, Living Your Legacy Podcast, where we connect, collaborate, and celebrate each other. Can't wait to see you there.